Hey everybody, welcome to a really fun episode of Back to School with Maz Jobrani. Today we have one of my favorite people. She is a fellow comedian. It's Daya Lakshmi Narayanan. She's very funny. She's amazing. She's got a new comedy special. She's here to talk to us about it. It's called Daya Tribes. That's D-H-A-Y-A, Daya Tribes. She's also here to tell us what it was like being a female comedian of color coming up in San Francisco and dealing with other comedians. And she's here to tell us if we can or cannot use the word bitch when we're on Twitter. That and more right now on Back to School with Maz Jobrani. Maz Jobrani. Hey. Jobrani Maz. Oh, Maz Jobrani. Hey. Jobrani. Mazzy, Mazzy. Oh, Maz, 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 Maz. Hey. I got a podcast. Oh, Back to School. Yeah. yeah. Hey guys, we got a new sponsor, Ritual Vitamins. Check them out. You get key nutrients without the BS. Ritual's vegan-friendly multivitamin is made without sugars, GMOs, major allergens, or synthetic fillers. I want you to give it a try. Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. All you got to do is go to ritual.com backslash school to start your ritual today. Check it out. Do it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Back to School with Maz Jobrani. I'm your host, Maz Jobrani. This is my co-host, Tehran. How you doing, T? Well, aren't you glad that for you, my name is an easier name? Like, because you're so used to the name Tehran. It's so interesting how we all are used to certain names, whether it's names like we we take for granted, Steve or Michael. Well, depending on where in the world you are, those aren't easy names at all. Dude, listen, Daya, as people will see in this episode, is a brilliant comedian. She's a graduate from MIT. She's a stand-up comedian. She's super smart. She's super articulate. I love her. I pride myself on getting people's names right, simply because a lot of times people will mess my name up. They go, Maz, Jabroni. I'm like, oh, it's Maz Jabroni. How, how hard is it? And then Daya, I've known her for 10 years or something, her last name has always been hard for me, and I just realized in this episode, you'll see, I finally realized how to say it right, and simply by slowing it down, okay? Daya Lakshmi Narayanan. You just got to slow it down. When you slow it down- you Use your hands. And, and you use your hands. I got that from John Lithgow, who's an amazing actor. I saw him speaking one day on Colbert. He was talking about how when his father, when he was young, his father used to read to him. And he goes, now I'm doing a one-man show about how when my father's old, I'm at his bedside reading to him. And I realized, whoa, reading is so important and it gets your mouth working to, an un- to enunciate and to, to, to project. And so now whenever I have Dara do our videos for, this, for the podcast, I always tell him, slow down. And I have to take my own advice to get Daya Lakshmi Narayanan. Mm, Say it, Tehran. I- it's easy. It's Daya Lakshmi Narayanan. Boom. So with that gotta, said, we're not going to talk to you anymore. We're going to get into it. Tehran, where do people find you? At, at I am Tehran all across the board. And of course, touring with Maz Jobrani. I am at Maz Jobrani. Let me know what you think of our episodes. Tell your friends about these episodes. We're counting on you to spread the word to help us grow. We're on tour. Everything's at mazjobrani.com. Without further ado, let's go talk to our good friend, Daya Lakshmi Narayanan on Back to School with Majabrani. Back to School, yeah. Daya Lakshmi Narayanan. Did I get it right? <laughs> no, Maz, but that's okay. You're the headliner. You're allowed say it, to say it. Say it with me. Say it with me. So, you know Padma Lakshmi. Lakshmi. Right? Yes. Lakshmi is the first part. The uh-huh. second part is Narayanan, like you're gnawing on Lakshmi Narayanan. Perfect. You got it. I've, I've known you for, I don't know, 10 years now. And every time, I'm very good with names. I'm very good with all this stuff. But for some reason, your name, Daya Lakshmi Rayaninen. Wrong. Uh, <laughs> what? Lakshmi? Gnaw. Remember, you're oh, gnawing. Oh, I'm adding an extra Ray in there. Yeah, you just have one piece oh. of rye bread. Narayanan. Good. Daya Lakshmi Narayanan. Perfect. Uh, uh, Lakshmi Narayanan. Perfect. Lakshmi Narayanan. Narayanan. We're going to do that for the whole hour. It's just going to be us going Lakshmi Narayanan. 
I think Tehran has a good technique. He uses his hands when he speaks. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Because even when I introduce you on stage, I use my hands, and you're always like, "You, you got my name perfectly right. How did you do that?" And I'm like, "You right. gotta go." I, I think for some reason, Daya, I wanted to add an extra "ra," so it's Lakshmi Narayanan. Yes. Just go right. To, just go to the "na" right away. And if you want to even perfect it, Lakshmi Narayanan. Like remember, like Padma Lakshmi. Lakshmi Narayanan. Perfect. Oh, you even La put the rolled R in there. Oh, see the hands. Lakshmi Narayanan. There you go. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, I, you are, I you're told surrounded da by. Go ahead. I told Dara that you uh, are a graduate of MIT and uh, your degree was in. I have two degrees. Of course. Uh, well, uh, so, I, it's energy economics and infrastructure finance is what I got my bachelor and master's in. But um, I got them in the departments of civil engineering. Uh, architecture, urban planning, and business. So I kind of combined a bunch of things. It just it, it, it your majors alone. I'd have to. I would have to major in the pronunciation of your majors and your last name in order to. Just, that would be but a whole class. But right. it's kind of genetic. You have to remember that her, I, your mother's a professor, and your brother is like a neuroscientist from Yale or something. Like, don't you? Have my, like yes, a, my brother is smarter than me. He has a PhD from Yale and a postdoc from Yale. My mom has two masters. My dad has a PhD and started on his second PhD and then quit. I only have one master's, Maz. I'm the dumbest in my family. You are not a master at all. Well, with that said, I told Dara you graduated from MIT and then became a comedian. So he had a question for you. Yes. Here we go from Dara to Miss Daya. Here we go. Hi, Miss Daya. I have a question for you. How do you advise an Indian boy to tell his mom that he wants to be a comedian instead of a doctor? I assume this is very hypothetical uh, that <laughs> I don't know what kind of Indian mom Dara might have. But, <laughs> but let's say this particular Indian mom wants him to be a doctor. Well, see, I kind of worked the loophole because I became a comedian after proving myself in the academic world. So there's really nothing anyone can say. No one can be like, because what they're afraid of is that you will be like on the street with no money, uh, you know, telling jokes for like, you know, spare change. But if you have a degree, you can always fall back on it. So the, the, the trick is to do the right things and then be like, look, now I'm doing this for me. So that's actually interesting because I think this is a good inspiration. Like you can be an expert on inspiring because we have a lot of immigrant parents probably and some immigrant kids who listen to this. And that's an ongoing struggle between immigrant parents and their kids. And it's very much, I've seen this negotiation. I have relatives that have had this negotiation with their kids who I have a, one of my close relatives, amazing artist. And the parents were like, get your degree. So he got his degree. Then they go, Get your law degree. Then he got his law degree. Then he came out and he's like, now I'm in my mid-20s or whatever it was. And he goes, I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to be an animator. So then he went to graduate school for animation. And now he's trying to make his way in animation. But part of me goes, okay, he pleased his parents and he's got a safety net in case. But part of me goes, he, you know, what about the five, six years where he could have started animation when he right out the gate as opposed to doing that? Now, what's your take on when you went to your parents? First of all, did you work after you graduated with the number of 20 degrees that you got? Did you do any work? Were you able to save up money? What was your game plan? I did work uh, because, uh, you know, going to MIT is expensive. College is just generally expensive. So I don't I don't actually know what I would tell this next generation because there's an economic argument to be made that college doesn't actually improve your lifelong earnings. And college debt sets you so far back that it's impossible to get out of that. So I think you should do your own economic analysis. And if you do that economic analysis, you don't even have to go to college. It means you can use a spreadsheet. But I did work because I had debt. I had student loans. So I worked a little bit. And I was always like the funny person in the office. 
And that person is never funny at comedy. You know, the funny person at the office is always like the person who comes up to you after the show and he's like, Maz, let me tell you this. You want to use it in your act? They're never funny. But I happen to look at other comedians and think, you know, this is crap. I can do better than this. And then I just, you know, started doing open mics and I, I reversed inspired myself. I saw the worst open mic comedians and I was assured that I could do better. Dai, I can't believe you're talking about me in Tehran like that, right in front of our face. That's not nice of you. I mean, that was one open mic we did. No, it's funny you say that, Daya, because the truth is, I always say you're inspired by greatness and mediocrity. So, for example, you see LeBron James slam dunk a basketball, and you think to yourself, I'm going to go on the court and slam dunk a basketball. You get out there, you realize quickly you can't. Vice versa, you see a pickup game, and these people don't even know how to bounce the ball and they're just horrendous. And you go, oh, I could play in this game. So I, like you, was inspired by mediocrity. When I was at Cal, there was these two guys doing a comedy competition. And they both were really bad. And I told myself, the next time I get a chance, I'm going to go and do it. Right. That's, that, Tehran, was that the same with you? Were you inspired by badness? No, 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 no. It was actually greatness. I was inspired by greatness. I, I'm the far-reaching person, you know? Shoot for the stars, land on the moon guy. That's kind of how I roll. Tehran saw Chris Rock get slapped, and he was like, I will not. He goes, I'm I, actually, the- I, My dream in life now is to get smacked by Will Smith because Chris Rock's career, which was already amazing, is soaring even higher. He's selling out more, and he was already selling out. Like, it's great. Smack me, that. Will Smith. I don't even want to make fun of Jada. Smack me. Yeah. Getting off of the Will Smith smack and going <laughs> back to Daya. Daya, what was it like? Now, you got started at, in, in San Francisco. What's it like being a woman of color? Because you're also an immigrant. You got a lot of ticks that may be in this world. that, I, And I'm not quite sure how many years ago you started. But stand-up comedy for the longest time was a white man's world and then became a black man white man latino man it was man 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 handful of women uh mostly white black maybe latino not the other mind not the other people of colors tell us the struggles you faced early on getting into stand-up comedy in san francisco so this is this is where i think it goes back to dara's question because uh mit is a man's world too being at all in anything having to do with STEM is a man's world. It just so happens to be that STEM isn't always a white man's world. It's an Asian man and white man's world. So I was used to being one of maybe two women in the physics class. I was used to being like, you know, the the, the one girl who's like showing up for the, the, you know, electromagnetism lecture and asking questions. So uh, and then after MIT, I worked in finance. Again, man's world. Um, I worked in both the public equity and the private equity side. All of those are male. So you kind of, uh, this is a cliche, but as a woman, you do have to show that you're two, three times better than everyone else. Uh, and you have to just stay in the game. Ironically, the thing that helped me in finance was making these bros laugh. Because everyone, everyone in finance was like six one. Your audience can't see me, but I'm five feet. I have a very good Zoom frame, so I look <laughs> I look normal size. But uh, I'm five feet tall, and uh, and so all these bros were like taller than me. They would be like drinking beer. I can barely have like half a glass. And so the way that I would get in with their deals and get them to include me in their meetings was to make all them laugh. And I would do things that would be HR violations. I would just say the most disgusting, demeaning, terrible things to them. And then they respected me more. So dealing with men was not the issue because I had been doing it since I was 18, uh, being a woman in a man's world. But stand-up is interesting because uh, in stand-up, you have the, the, the perception when you come on stage is they, I have a friend, Tehran, I want to know what you think. I have a friend who's a trial lawyer, and she says it's the same with trial law. When you get up there, the audience has five to seven seconds before they make up their mind about who you are and what you bring to the table. So in stand-up, I use the stereotype to my advantage. I'm tiny. They think I'm going to start shaking and crying on stage or like, you know, do something else. 
but I have a big voice and a big personality so I can get away with a lot more because I play off of that um, perception. That's great. I mean, in law, I will tell you this. Don't always get the lawyer that has the best grades or went to the best school. Get the lawyer that's the most charismatic because that's the one who's going to win your case. That's why I will take Johnny Cochran over Professor Norton any day of the week. Because if the Johnny, glove don't fit, you must, must acquit. acquit. And that's something that only a charismatic person would come up with. So much so that 30 years later, we still say that phrase. And right. that's the kind of stuff that you're looking for. And I feel like it has a lot of similarities in comedy because in comedy, you also get the first 10 seconds. And that's the, that's the benefits of being famous. When you're famous, people already know you, they're acclimated to your world. But as a comedian, the first 10 seconds to 30 seconds to minute, you're really using to set the scene for everybody in the audience and giving them a piece of your soul so that they know you and can understand you and accept you. Yeah, I, no. I, I get away with a lot more than I would maybe um, sometimes uh, a male comedian would like on Friday night, I made fun of a bald man sitting in the front row and he didn't, uh, his wife didn't come up and slap me. So <laughs> I, I'm able to, but by the way, love bald comedians, Maz. Yes, uh, thank you. you, Larry David, Don Reed, bald guys rule. Yes. Um, and then on Sunday night, I, I, there was a guy who said something in the audience and I complimented him on his body and his girlfriend was right there. And I said, thanks for sharing. Happy Women's History Month to me. They came up to me after the show, wanted to take their picture. And the guy goes, do you want to give us your number or what? And I said, no, thank you. That was just for comedy. So I get away with a lot more than maybe male comedians can get. Away. They wanted to do a threesome with you off of your one comment like that? He was kind of kidding, but kind of not. <laughs> oh, wow. Let me ask you a question. Uh, again, as an Indian comedian or a, a comedian of, of Indian background, mm -hmm. person of color, have you been at a show and had somebody scream out something at you? Now, the good news is you're in San Francisco, so it tends to be left leaning and you're not going to get some idiot. But there's always some idiot somewhere. Have you ever had anybody scream anything at you? Um, that you had to, that, that was, you know, racist to an extent? Uh, so, so two things. Uh, one, it was oftentimes the other comedians that were racist. Like when you were first starting out, like open mics and small shows, they would, uh, they would think that they were being funny by like doing like, from the and like, and so, you know, I'm so I sorry, but the way you did that was actually really funny. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Like your version of that was actually extremely funny. And I feel like you should do that on stage. <laughs> this is my I, impression of a white guy doing a poop. So so they would do stuff like that. And I would be like, and again, the mediocre mediocrity inspired me. So I would go up and I would slam them. I would I would make fun of these white guys. I would make fun of everything about them. So you learn that you cannot uh, just sit there and fume. You, If you get to go after them, you get to take them down. Yeah. So it was mostly the other comedians who thought that they were being edgy. Remember there was that time where everyone wanted to be edgy comedian because they saw Anthony Jeselnik. Anthony happens to be a very nice guy and very funny. And I'm like, you can't be Anthony. He has skill. So they were all trying to do that. But here's what something that did happen. I was performing in the Castro and I have a big gay following, right? But this one straight guy uh, came into the bar in the Castro. He was in the front row. He was already uncomfortable. He was on his phone. I said some dumb thing. I made fun of him. So he slams his food down and he goes out and I'm performing and my back is against the glass uh, uh, bay windows. And all of a sudden the glass behind me shatters. He's thrown a punch behind me into the glass window because he was so angry that I took him on and he was texting in the front row. So the police came and then and then they were like, well, what happened? And I, and I told them and they said, who was on stage when it happened? I said, I was. And they said, but you're so small and cute. They couldn't understand how <laughs> I could engage the wrath of people. Yeah, so well, it, it still happens. Shooting tendency. That guy's that's psychotic. That yeah. was that that was Will Smith was at the show. That was Will Smith, right? And oh, no, no. They said small. <laughs> so wait a minute, because um, you also come from you grew up in the South, right? I did. Where were you? 
Um, from fifth through 12th grade, I lived in Birmingham, Alabama, and then my parents moved to Georgia and my brother finished school from there. So, yeah. So did you face any racism there growing up or oh. were, were there a lot of Indians or because I'm, I'm wondering if it's like some of this, your your toughness to go on stage, as you said, as a petite or whatever you would say, as a smaller yeah, yeah, that's the right word. woman, if some of the toughness came from being a child and having to deal with some stuff. So, yes, there were not a lot of Indians in Birmingham. The Indians there that were there were affiliated with the university. My dad was a professor, so he was at the university. So the Indians we knew were at the university. Also, I knew hella Iranians. I knew so many Iranians in Birmingham, like, you know, Parastu and Nazanin and all, all of these like uh, Iranians because their dads were engineers and now they worked at like, Panda Express because they came after the revolution and they were trying to get jobs. And they were like, I guess we're in Birmingham. I mean, imagine coming from the, the center of learning and culture, Iran to Birmingham. I mean, so we kind of bonded because it's like, yeah, yeah, we, we were left out too. So I had kind of all these really interesting misfit friends that didn't fit in. But the funny thing is that rednecks called all of us the N-word because they couldn't differentiate between- Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, I was Wait, called they, the N word. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, so first of all, I was shocked. Then I was hurt because I knew what that, and then I just started laughing because they're like, they don't even know the slur for my community. They're so dumb. But the flip side of it was that black people were very nice to me. They, they really were um, embracing of my family. They were like, don't go down that street. If you want to go to the grocery store, don't go to that one. Go here. My mom worked with all black women at the library and they would teach her things. They would be like, you know, uh, you know, there, one time the Klan came to rally at the library. And my what? Boy, yes. wait, 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 wait. You can't just say that. Like, yeah. it's like, why would the Klan go to the library? What's what's going on at the library that they're rallying? Well, you the burn the crosses and you burn the books at the same time. It actually, it's eco-friendly. They've been okay. trying to be eco-friendly for the last couple of years. Actually. They, they, just to be clear, they didn't go in the library because they don't know how to read. They stayed outside the library because the Birmingham Public Library is public property. So you can, you can have a public gathering there and it's freedom of speech. So the Klan would choose public areas to rally and the library was one of them. It was the black women that told my mom not to come to work that day. So we we had a lot of allies, which is why I try as much as possible to be an ally for you know black people, for queer people, because these are the people that had my back when I was growing. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the episode. If you're like me, you take vitamins. I want you to try our sponsor, Ritual Vitamins. I'm excited to be trying them out. They are a multivitamin. We all need vitamins, right? Your body needs vitamins. Here's what's special about them, okay? You deserve to know what you're putting in your body and why, especially when it comes to something that you're taking every day. So Ritual's clean, vegan-friendly multivitamin is formulated with high-quality nutrients in bioavailable forms for your body so that you can actually use, all right? You're not gonna find sugars or GMOs or major allergens or synthetic fillers or artificial colorants in Ritual Vitamins, all right? I want you guys to check them out. Uh, Ritual Vitamins is a multivitamin reimagined, all right? It's a multivitamin, uh, should contain key nutrients and forms your body can actually use to help fill gaps in the diet, all right? They are uh, designed for your stage of life in mind, so they've got it for women, men, teens, doesn't matter. They got it for you. Here's the best part of it all, all right? You listen to my show. They are going to give you 10% off during your first three months, okay? You get key nutrients without the BS. Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com school to start your ritual today. And if you don't like it, you can get it back. They'll refund your first order. So you got nothing to lose. Just help yourself. Get better. Try Ritual at ritual.com slash school and get 10% off. See, I think, I think, because <clears throat> I'm also similar to you, I'm always trying to, 
defend anybody who's being persecuted. So whether it's like going to and, and you know, women's protest, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter protest, uh, you know, gun, you know, gun safety, all you name it. I show up because and I always try to be on the side. Like, you know, I'm always when they were having the um, the kids in cages, all that stuff. It it really upsets me at my core. And I think part of it is when you grow up and you face a little bit of that discrimination, at some point in your life, you tell yourself, I am going to always stand up to discrimination. Right. And I think that that has helped you, as you just said, now that you're living, I mean, you're in San Francisco again, which is left-leaning a lot. Um, but it's, I think the experiences you had, I mean, I never knew that you had had the Klan show up outside your mom's work or or been been called the n-word i mean that's just one thing that that you were always reminded of is how stupid racist people are like they really <laughs> have really they really have no they don't do the research like they don't even google they just right. you know like for example when the hostage crisis happened all of my arab friends were like yeah they would call us you know fucking iranian and i was like but you're arab and like yeah, yeah. they didn't care you know right Right. Or or it's funny because in England, the slur for a South Asian is Paki. And I'm like, you don't even know that that's a separate country. And my and it's like I'm Indian. That That's a totally different country. It, so so racists don't have the most creativity when it comes to giving you a name. They just take the other names that are there. So but they are yeah. really creative when it comes to jokes. For some reason, racists are made. They're on it so quick. They come up with these funny jokes and you're like, oh. Man, that was good. How'd you come up with that, Jim Billy Bob? And Tehran, Tehran, don't talk about Donald Trump like that. All right, no, let's hilarious. move on. Let's move Larry, on. I do have a question for Daya in regards to you brought up people having your back in the comedy world. Do you feel that there's a camaraderie amongst uh, East Asian comedians or the other brown comedians are actually very supportive of you, or do you feel like alone in a sea and see that camaraderie amongst other groups of people like? Uh, white guys helping other white guys or, or or black people helping other black people or something like that. Uh, there, That's that's interesting. And I, I want to know what you guys think. I mean, uh, I'm not just saying this because I'm on your podcast, but Maz was one of the first, you know, male comedians to help me. And uh, and he was like, you were really generous. You gave me a shot. You've seen me like get better and better and have like more credits and do a bunch of stuff. And, you know, I think it's because I knew what your values were. Like, I knew you had a kick-ass uh, South Asian wife. I knew that you weren't, like, out there being, like, bitches and hoes in your comedy act, you know? I feel like, attacked, by the way. Yes, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That was towards me. <laughs> no, I'm not calling Tehran a bitch. I'm calling him a hoe. So completely <laughs> separate. Ho is making money. Bitch is just, you know. Uh, it's like, yo, why are you mean? You know, I get it. By the way, but, before we go any further, I do yeah. want to bring up the word bitch. It's an interesting word because I don't know where we stand anymore. Because I'll be honest with you, recently on um, when um, Katanji Brown Jackson was being questioned by, I think it was Marsha Blackburn, one of these conservative mm -hmm. um, Republican senators. And she straight up was asking Katanji Brown Jackson, she's like, do you know the definition of a woman? You know, just like stupid right wing bullshit. Right, and I, right. my instinct was like, Kataji Brown Jackson should have been like, no, I don't. But I do know the definition of a bitch. And that's you. And then I'm thinking to myself, if I tweet this, are people going to come back and be like, you shouldn't use the word bitch. But I was like, but Marsha Blackburn is a bitch. So what's the rules real quick before you continue your story? I, I, I have, uh, I have two things about it. So one, I think it's socially acceptable if you're in a group with other women or gay guys and they call each other bitches because uh, I have had gay guys call me a, a bitch, but in a loving way. So same thing in the South. Some of my black friends would call me the N word with the A at the end. I refuse to say it back, but I accepted it as a compliment. So like that, uh, girls can call each other bitches. Gay guys can call me a bitch. However, I think it's a crutch in your standup because I used to have so many jokes with comma bitch at the end. And I opened for Janine Garofalo and we talked about it. And she goes, try taking it out. See how strong that joke is. And the joke didn't do as well. So I rewrote the joke without bitch in it. And I made it a stronger joke. Sometimes it's just it's just 
it, the demeaning aspect of it just makes everyone laugh. And I'm like, if you take it out, you're, you'll be a better joke writer. How about Marjorie Taylor Greene? Can I call her a bitch? You know, you, you do you, Moz, because I don't control your Twitter feed. But I'm saying I try to think of smarter insults for women because bitch is like you. It's so like right. it, it, it's, it's so kind of can be applied to everyone. Asshole doesn't have the same connotation as bitch. So I try to dig deeper and find something to really hurt someone. But here's my here's my take on it for me personally. So because it's part of my colloquial usage of language sure. due to my not only generation, but also that hip hop feel. Yeah, we use the word bitch. We use the word nigga. Now, that's just my normal way of talking. It doesn't mean I'm actually insulting anyone. Right. I very rarely use the word bitch as an insult, like actually, if ever. I'll never be like, whatever, you're a bit like, I would never right. say that. I just find that. Rude. But if I'm like, yo, and then this bitch went into the car and then it was like, it's just part of the words that we use colloquially. Right. And there's an older generation of comedians that are like, oh, you shouldn't use it. But they don't understand that for us, it's just our natural language. It's our language. It's our usage. It's kind of like in the beginning, if you had used the word bad, when bad first started meaning good because Michael Jackson used it and people in the older generation than that was like, oh, why are you doing that? Bad means bad and bad doesn't mean good. And then it's like, it's just pushing that envelope even further. There's also, that's a learning moment, by the way, uh, back to school, we learn as a comedian, as a writer, when you limit yourself and go, not limit, but you, you set certain boundaries, you go, okay, you know what? I'm not gonna use that word. It causes you to be more creative so you come up with other ways. For example, I'll give you another example. This is not my stand-up. This is all my Twitter feed, by the way, which Twitter is a whole other world because stand-up, you're live. They hear your voice. They know your connotation. They get it. Twitter, they read it, and then they interpret it how they want to. Here's another example. Tommy Laren, who's another right-wing numbnut, she yeah. did some tweet about, oh, if we can spend all this money sending to Ukraine, we can certainly afford to spend money to build our wall. Uh, the wall along Mexico. Right. And I wanted to tweet, this bitch still doesn't realize that the biggest threat to Americans are Americans. You don't need a wall, right? And instead, I had to be creative. I was like, I don't want to put the word bitch out there because someone's going to be like, please don't use the word bitch. So I got creative. I said, this dumb dumb still doesn't understand that the biggest threat to Americans is Americans. So I use dumb dumb, dumbass, dumbo. That's always a fun one too. Right. Um, you know, you know what, though? I got called out for dumb because dumb comes from deaf and dumb, which offends the disability community, as does the word lame. So sometimes I push it, but sometimes I'm like, OK, I'll take that into consideration. Uh, Let so me see. Dumb and lame are aggressive towards the handy capable community. Uh, yes. Well, they I think they call themselves people with disabilities or disabled people. But yes, yes. Okay, now let's go back to, because we were talking about <laughs> you and um, uh, it, we got to the word that we were, we're tell, oh, like I, people, people supporting people you. People of like, color supporting it, you. So you were talking about me supporting you and then you were talking about other people and how, and how oh, that all way, came about. By the way, just to let you all know, to be very fair, Maz is an outlier and I'm very fortunate to be uh, of per part Persian descent because Maz and Max have been extremely supportive. That's that's basically, and we often joke about it, if Maz, Maximini, myself, and Amir K are in a room and someone takes out that room, that ends Persian com comedy outside of Iran. That ends Persian comedy outside of Iran. You might want to add in... Um, uh, Omid uh, Singh, maybe. Omid Jalili, of course, you'd have Omid to be Jalili, in the room. You know, a couple it, of Omids. It, it, a couple of Omids and uh, Anissa... And but that would be that would literally be it. It would be it, and very supportive of one another. But I right. see other communities not being as supportive. Well, well now wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you go there, let me tell you as as Daya was telling her story about uh, the brown or you know Asian community, Desi community possibly supporting or not supporting. I will tell you my point of view on it because as you said, Daya, you said you knew that I wasn't going to be up there being like bitches and hoes, be like this. So the flavor was similar, <laughs> and the truth is. I look for that when I find younger comics that I want to have in front of my audience because as much as I love some comic who might be super racy and raunchy, et cetera, et cetera, 
I know that sometimes my audience will tend to be a little more conservative, not like religious conservative, but they dress up nicely. They're coming to the show. Now, even there, there are times, I love it, where Tehran has some like edgier stuff he's been doing recently. I love, you know, messing with them a little bit, throwing in a word or two here or there. But there's certain comedians who fit in front of your audience. So when I see somebody like you, I go, Daya's gonna, they're gonna get Daya, right? So going back to- You know why to- I'm laughing though, Ross. You know why I'm laughing. I will never not laugh when you talk about this because of our wonderful friend and where were we, Texas? Oh I'm my gosh. Yeah, Arizona we were in Arizona, Daya, and there was this one guy, cause again, I will go to anybody who's got like an immigrant background, whether it's Indian or it's Chinese or mm-hmm. it's Persian or whatever, immigrant backgrounds, yeah, I'm always on board. I'm like, you we, you probably have some jokes that are going to relate to my audience, all right? Sure. But you're also giving people opportunities who wouldn't normally have that opportunity because Love there it. is a hierarchy that's unfortunate in Hollywood and comedy that exists. And as of now, the uh, the brown comedian and, and women comedian are at the bottom and Maz gives both so many opportunities. So this right. guy got in touch. I do it, so too because of him. His this lead. guy... This guy got in touch in Arizona. He was like, listen, I'm a Libyan background, this, that, the other. Oh, no. So come on down, do five minutes. No, he not. came down. We're sitting backstage. He's a nice enough guy. I go, listen, this, I, I'll give you some advice. I go, I, I, I don't want to ever tell anybody what to do and what not to yeah. do in their act. But I go, sure. if you have anything that's a little raunchy, save it for the end. Start, you know, let them know who you are. They don't know who you are. They go, I go they're here to sing me. Right. But I'm giving you a guest spot. So right. when you go out there... Start slow and then like, you know, get them, you know, let them know who you are. This guy goes up there. He starts talking like he does like one or two jokes about who he is. Next thing you know, he's doing a joke about giving a homeless guy a blowjob outside of 7-Eleven. And I'm like, what? For crack. For crack. But it wasn't even funny. It was just, even the way Moss says it is way funnier than the way that he said it. And it was like. And I'm running over and I'm like, I'm finding Tehran. I'm like, Tehran, come here. Get him off. Get him. He was like, he was supposed to do five. He was three minutes in. I go, give him the light. Get him because the yeah. audience is looking at each other shocked now. And that was one of those moments that Tehran will always I bring loved up. It. I loved yeah. it. It was not yeah. only extremely funny for me, it worked out well because I love those moments when I go on stage. I love being present in the moment and talking about these kind of things that just happened. So it worked out, but Amazing. it was very funny to watch the audience's reactions. The But no one's ever come up to me and said anything about Daya in that way. So Daya. Uh-huh. The rest of the, the brown okay. community. So let, let me say two things. Maximini also has been super supportive of me. I'm not even Iranian. I'm Iranian adjacent because I happen to like Zulbi Abamia. I know uh, Asha Joe. I, I like, you know, like burnt rice with the brown stuff. I know the food. Tadig. Tadig. I, I can write my name. Da. Ya. I can write my name in Farsi. I can say Salam Khaled Shatore. But one time I said Shotor, which is camel. That's wrong. Yes. So I've made mistakes. So I'm Iranian adjacent slash Persian adjacent. Maximini was so nice to me. I've opened for him a couple of times. One time I, I brought one of my female friends with me because she wanted to come see the show. And I was rushing backstage and I accidentally walked in on him. He was changing his shirt uh, and he apologized to me. That's how nice Maximini is. Because I was like, nice. oh my God, I'm so sorry. You goes, sexually no, harassed sorry. yourself? You sexually harassed yourself, Daya? Like you no. went in and like, okay, that's great. No, 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 I, did, I didn't mean to sexually harass him. He was changing and I opened the door. It was just his shirt. And then he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. That's how nice he is. Great guy. Anyway, so he's been supportive of me. Uh, honestly, uh, I haven't worked with a lot of major South Asian headliners. Uh, I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's just that, you know, I've like, I've never opened for Russell. I've never opened for Sugar Sammy. I've, uh, it's, it's not a, that they don't like me or whatever, but I found uh, Iranian Americans to be really supportive of me. I found um, some like, like black comics to be really, really supportive of me. I found like some very progressive, like Janine Garofalo, Greg Proops. I've worked with Greg every New Year's Eve for the last five, six years. We're really good friends. So for me, I don't define community in terms of ethnicity. 
uh, I kind of define it as who shares my values, like who has the same outlook on life that I do. Um, you know, so yeah, and Ronnie Chang has been super supportive of me. I've opened for him several times. Asian He's great. He, he loves supporting Asian folks and his wife is also a lawyer. So I knew that opening for him, like he's, he likes strong women. So it's kind of like navigating and seeing which comedians share your values and, uh, and then, you know, trying to get in with them. So I think that's so important. I think you're right. I, that's, that's for me too. When I find comics, it doesn't, I mean, obviously if you have a similar background, it helps, but I agree with you a hundred percent. Because there are a lot of comedians who don't, but I love, I go this, again, Tehran knows when we put an audience together, like when we do fundraisers that are Persian-centric, a lot of times the, the, the first thing the club does is like, I want to book five Persian comedians. I go, no, 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 no. That's going to be an hour and a half of the same joke basically repeated. I go... Get your Alonzo Bowden in there. Get your Helen Hong. Get your yes. Kira Sultanovich. Get your, yes. you know, all these other comics that I know. Will Ahmed Weinberg. Get these people that these people normally wouldn't see. Your Ian Edwards. Right. The and usually that unicorn in that lineup is the one that everyone comes up and goes. Who is that guy? I go. That's the guy. Yeah. You know. Um, so now. You did this special. Tell us how that came about, why you chose to do. Did you do it yourself? What's going on with it? So I was in talks with the label Blonde Medicine. They're amazing. They're um, they're a label. They did Janelle James' album. Uh, they did Joyelle's album. They did uh, Bethany Van Delft. So I knew that they had women of color that they had on their label um, Amy Miller's new album is coming out on that, um, Irene too. So I just like liked them in terms of who they represented, whose albums that they did. And we were talking pre-pandemic. We had it all set. We would record it in Portland because they have like nice progressive liberal audiences. We had a producer there, black dude named Jason Lamb, shout out to him. He does something called, um, minority, uh, I think minority retort. And he has like, you know, people of color, headlining his shows really good. We And I was gonna do it with my friend, Corinda Dobbins, who's a black lesbian uh, comic with a biotech background. So again, like wow. on paper, we're very different. She's black, I'm South Asian, she's queer, I'm not, but we're both kind of nerdy. She's like, I was one of the four black people in biotech and two of them worked at the cafeteria. So that was like one of her jokes. So she's like super smart. She's from Detroit and Oakland. We were going to record our album together. Coronavirus hit. Everything got postponed. Then we kept talking with the label. We're like, should we do it outdoors? What should we do? Uh, and then finally, that sweet spot when Delta was going down before we had even heard of Omicron, we did our, Corinda and I did our shows together at the punchline. We did two nights where we traded off headlining and um, we uh, booked it and then we each did 45 and we had some openers with us that um, the label captured what they needed. And then after that, Omicron started surging. So we got the sweet spot where we could do it and uh, we finally did it. So we were lucky in that we timed it pretty well. So it was it was an effort to get there, but we did. I'm proud of you that you did it. And that's another learning moment. I think a lot of people in this business or in life, a lot of people are afraid to mint something, meaning let's just do it. Let's just get it done. Let's just put it out there because they want to perfect it, perfect it, perfect it, perfect it. And then all of a sudden there's a six months, a year, two years, three years, four years. And you go, why haven't you done your special? I'm waiting. I really got to wait. My whole thing has been throughout my career, and I'm happy that you did this. I say, build it, get it, do your special, do your project, whatever that project is, whether it's an art project or architecture or whatever it is, put it put it in the world and then work on the next one and work on the next one. Because I think you could spend so long trying to perfect something that the moment can pass and unfortunately you get left behind. So you now have it out. It's on iTunes. Where is it? It's everywhere. So if you so it's called Diatribe, which is a play on my name, Daya. And a Diatribe is like a rant, uh, um, oration, but often done with sarcasm and humor. So it's D-H-A-Y-A-T-R-I-B-E. 
I have the domain diettribe.com. You can also go to the label Blonde Medicine. It's on iTunes, Spotify, Bandcamp. I have limited edition vinyl. So if someone wants to eh, 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 scratch it, mix it, <laughs> do some Missy Elliott on it, you can use my album for that too. So it's it's out everywhere. So yeah, you're right, Maz. And you told me something interesting after uh, you're not this last Netflix special, but the one before you were like, there's some jokes on there that I'm like, ah, oh, I changed it. I made it better, but it's already on there. So it's kind of this interesting meditation where you have to just let something go because you can always perfect it and tweak it and make it better. But you got to you got once it's out there, you just let it go and move on. You can't be a perfectionist, which is a learning moment because Oftentimes, all of us are high achieving, like we, you know, went to good schools, have good degrees. But with comedy, you can't hold on to that perfection. It's, it's you put it out there, it's to make people laugh. And then you move on, you move on to the next thing. I think it's not just comedy, I think it's life, I think it's art, I think it's anything because you can be so precious about every little thing that you have. And in your mind, it's going to be accepted in a different, oh, the way till the world gets a hold of this perfect joke. And, you know, sometimes you get known for the joke that you didn't mean to be perfect. Right. Right. What's the joke people know you most for? Well, on the album, I'm not going to say what happened. A woman yells out something in the middle of my set. And this is after the host and the opener have said, we're recording today. Please keep table conversation to a minimum. And I had to take her on in the middle of the recording. So that's on the album. So the label and I made a decision to keep it in because we had two shows and the second show didn't have a heckler. The first show did. And they said, I think you should keep it in. So that's what people are writing about. They're like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened and what you said to that person. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. I love it. People, you should listen just for that. Diatribe, D-H-A-Y-A, tribe, diatribe, find it. Diatribe.com, find it on iTunes, Spotify. Listen to it just for the heckler, if nothing else. And I will tell one story before we get to our, uh, our quick speed round here. I will say, Daya, you're wonderful, you're amazing, and I. but I knew you were special when, I always tell the story, <laughs> you were the opening act in San Jose, and usually when you have a host, the host between acts is getting drunk, is trying to pick up girls or guys, if it's a girl or whatever, or, or LGBTQ, I don't care what you are, they're trying to pick somebody up, and I came backstage waiting to get on stage, and I'm looking for my host, and there she is, Daya. Lakshmi Narayanan. Lakshmi Narayanan. Lakshmi Narayanan is sitting in the back reading The Economist. And I was like, only, I go, you're a special human being. I've never seen a comedy host reading The Economist. I love The Economist. Tehran, let's take her to the speed round. Let's go now to back to school with Daya Lakshmi Narayanan. Lakshmi Oh my God. Tehran, say it again. How many times did that happen to you in your life, Daya? You, How many you times know, does it happen? And I love the fact that you don't shorten or change your last name, by the way. I'll, I'll tell a quick story. There was a, a comedian who was trying to do his audition at the punchline, and I was on the show, and, and the booker, Molly, who's very fair, said you have to get everyone's names right and you have to get the 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 you know the announcements so he brings me up he gets my name wrong i don't make fun of him i know it's his audition he fails the audition he gets another chance at an audition and he finds out who the headliner is who's shazia mirza so then he goes to an open mic and introduces every comic as shazia mirza like matt john joseph everyone is shazia mirza he gets to the punchline he gets nervous he introduces her as Sharia Maria, and she <laughs> takes the piss out of him. She just makes fun of him for like 10 minutes. He fails his audition again. So you know, it happens Sharia to Sharia Maria is actually amazing. Honestly, That's hilarious. Sharia Maria. That's so it hilarious. happens to me a lot, but it also happens to a lot of people who don't have complicated names. So. It's what I'm saying is if you can say Zach Galifianakis, you can say dialect. That's a great point. And the problem for me is people mess up my name. So the fact that I have such a hard time with your name just kills me. I feel like this is this should be like my my wheelhouse. Lakshmi Narayanan. Narai, Lakshmi Narayanan. Lakshmi Narayanan. 
Lakshmi, Lakshmi Narayanan. Daya, Lakshmi Narayanan. Daya, Lakshmi Narayanan. You got to use the hands like Tehran. I got it. Okay. So let's go. Okay, give me the give me the speed lightning. round with Daya Lakshmi Narayanan. Were you popular in high school? I went to a gifted high school, so yes. Good for you. <laughs> of course you did. What did you want to be in high school? I wanted to be a science journalist. I love it. What would you tell your high school self if you could tell yourself one thing? Uh, that these people are boring and get away from them as soon as possible. <laughs> what other profession would you do if you could? Writer or anesthesiologist because they have the best drugs. Oh, wow. Nicely said. Um, do you recommend people get into your profession and why? If you're going to get into stand-up, make sure that you can also write or you can also act. Well said. Well said. I like it. And you're writing now, and I know I'm proud of you as well for that. You've been... I just love the hustle, Daya. I love the Thank hustle. You. Thank you. I appreciate it. Ter Teron, what did you learn on this episode? Well, actually, I learned to read The Economist more. That's <laughs> what I learned for sure. Read The Economist more. And I learned how to say Lakshmi Narayanan. There Perfect. we go. Woo! So happy so, about that. It was so nice to be on with you bitches. I love <laughs> People, you got to find Daya. She's touring all the time. She's doing live shows all the time. It's D-H-A-Y-A-Live.com. DayaLive.com. On Twitter, at DayaLive. Some bastard took her Instagram page, and she's going to get it back from this guy. So once she's got that back, find her there as well. And also Daya Tribes, D-H-A-Y-A Tribe. It is a great Thank name. You. By the way, you've monopolized everything Daya, except for this, except for Instagram. Um, I always say I've, I've monopolized everything Maz Jobrani. So you're doing, I'm proud of you, Daya. Thank you. Thank you, Maz. I'm going to write you into one of my pilot scripts. Get your OnlyFans. Get your OnlyFans, Daya. Daya, Get I'm telling you, I got yes. mine. Okay, I have something to share. I don't think Maz knew what OnlyFans was in the beginning of the pandemic because he gave me advice. He goes, maybe you should make a math and science OnlyFans. I don't Did I know, say that? Maz. Yes. That's actually, <laughs> and honestly, that actually is a great idea. A lot of people think OnlyFans is only. Uh, of course, uh, for sex workers, but it's not. In fact, that's not what OnlyFans' plan is. And they're going into the future with huge markets for people who do not perform in any of those uh, traditional thoughts of OnlyFans. So actually, right now, I would feel OnlyFans is a great platform and the next coming up for comedy. Remember, you heard it here first. Okay. Get it, Daya. Get it. <laughs> Okay, sounds good. I, so I learned from uh, learned from these hoes to make an OnlyFans. <laughs> Daya Lakshmi Daya Lakshmi Narayanan. Daya Lakshmi Narayanan. Yes. Thank you for being on Back to School with Majabrani. Back to school. Thank you for listening to another episode of Back to School with Maz Jobrani. We hope you're enjoying it. We hope you're having fun. And we hope you're learning something. So make sure to let your friends know. Share it on iTunes. Share the clips from YouTube. Just get it out there. However you're listening, let your friends know to tune in to Back to School with Maz Jobrani. Back to school. Yeah.